2 Corinthians 4, verses 16, and we're going to read through verse 10 of chapter 5. Paul here is talking about how to not lose heart in the face of decay, physical decay, and death. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, which is our heavenly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Take a moment to be seated and reflect together on God's Word. What happens one minute after you die? When we sat after the scripture reading for 60 seconds. What would of those 60 seconds have been like? What will they be like the first 60 seconds after you take your last breath and you pass from this transient world into eternity? Well-known pastor and theologian Erwin Lutzer writes in his book titled, One Minute After You Die, these words, One minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchanged. There is no destination midway between these two extremes, just gladness or gloom. There will be no possible transfer from one region to another. This morning, we're concluding our uh, fall-long series on the church. Back in August, we began unpacking different aspects, different important areas of the church, the church's mission, the authority of the church, the sacraments, 
how we live life together. Those are some of the topics that we've been taking a look at. And this morning, perhaps appropriately, our final topic is one of the most important, and that is the church and its role in helping people face death. It's one of the critical roles of the church, is how do they help, how does the church help people face death? And let's begin by review to see how humanity even got to this particular topic. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that death is a consequence of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And God warned them that if they, had, if they ate the forbidden fruit, that they would die, and die they did. From, from that point on, from Genesis chapter 3 until today and until the end of this timeline, death now marches through human history, and it marches through human history in three primary ways. One, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they began to die. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. And when they lost uh, God as the center, when, when, he, when he got moved out of the place that only he belonged, when they lost that eternal point in which they guided their lives by, uh, they, lost, they got lost themselves. Once they lost that fixed point, They had no other point of reference but themselves, and so they got lost. And we know that happened because when God walks back in the garden, the first thing he says is, Adam, where are you? And it's not because he couldn't find where Adam was, is he wanted to help Adam understand that, Adam, you no longer know where you are. You've lost the fixed point. And without me as your fixed point, uh, without me as your center, you're lost. You're separated now from God spiritually, and they also began to die physically. Their bodies began to to experience decay, and they began a journey to the grave from dust that they were made, and then dust they will return. And if it hadn't been for the grace of God, they would have died eternally, eternally separated from God in what the Bible describes as hell. But thanks be to God, we can sing joy to the world. Why? Why? (laughs) The Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. And then it says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That was part of the curse. He comes to make his blessings flow. And what's the next one? Far as the curse is found. As far out as the curse has gone over the world, as far as you may feel away from God, God's blessings flow flow farther than you, you've gotten away from God. That's why Jesus uh, says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever, far as the curse is found, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the church is uniquely gifted with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to to say that on the cross, God reverses the curse. He he takes our death and exchanges it for eternal life. And so that's the good news. That's the gospel. But that's how we even got to this topic on death. And so I want to transition and turn our attention to the text here and see how the Apostle Paul is specifically encouraging his church to not lose heart in the face of death. 
whether it's you're experiencing physical problems, physical decay in some way. Maybe you're experiencing decay in other ways, relationally, emotionally. Or you just know that death is coming. How is it that you live in this world and you don't lose heart? And that's what Paul's addressing, and that's the message that we want to look at this morning. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Paul sees this sign of physical decay. He has known the threats of death over and over again. He, He has a sense of death stalking him. And death and decay serve like two bullies to rob Paul or to rob his congregation or to rob you and I of, of courage. And so as we get bullied around by physical decay, as we get bullied around by this death that's on our horizon, how do we, how do we stay encouraged? You know, when you're a teenager, you talk about the body that you want. And it really isn't too many years that pass by that you start talking about the body that you had. And then somewhere, and it's at least by 50, I can attest to that, you get together with your friends and most of the topics of your conversations are things that don't work anymore. (laughs) And so we all have these signs of physical decay. It comes on us, it creeps up on us. And Paul understands that in the face of that and as we look towards our last day, it's easy to get discouraged. And so he's trying to encourage his friends, and also us today. At best, our outer nature is no better than a tent, he describes it as. I mean, no matter how strong your tent, it's not meant to be permanent. Wind, storms of life batter against the tent. And in the beginning, it looks like it's going to stay forever, but it doesn't take too long before you realize things start losing their grip. I've noticed that even in my own outer nature, I don't have the cat-like speed I once had. And that may come as a shock, but uh, in the face of these things, how do you not lose heart? Paul's broad answer is a matter of how we focus. Look at verse 16. Uh, Sort of the 30,000-foot view of how we don't lose heart is how we focus our attention. Even though the outer nature is wasting away, Paul says, that's not my focus. Instead, my primary focus is in my inward being, something that's being renewed day by day. It's it's growing. It's getting stronger day by day. So, yes, I do see these outward things. I, I sense these two bullies in the room, death and decay, but they're not my primary focus. My primary focus is on things that are happening on my inner being. Most of you probably have some kind of camera, and probably it's a, it's a point-and-shoot camera. In other words, it's an automatic focus. Whenever you stand up and you just put it up, you don't have to do anything. The camera has a particular sensor in it. It picks out the main object in your f- picture, and you just point and shoot. But, of course, if, if the main object is not your main object, then everything else behind it is blurry. And so if you want something different, you have to get a manually focusing camera so that you might have a main object. But really, the thing that you want to focus in on is not what's on the main part of the screen, but what's behind, maybe what's at some distance. And so you manually focus on something that's further behind 
that's not in the front part of the screen. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, look, autofocus in life is you. You get up, you look in the mirror. You hurt, you analyze your pain. Autofocus in this world is just you. And so Paul's saying, I understand that's autofocus, but we have, to, we have to manually focus on something else. You have to manually, manually focus on your inner being, something that's being renewed day by day, something that's keeping you going. And what is that? Paul talks about that in this particular passage. And I want to see how he sort of helps us focus in on our inner nature. There's three ways that we'll look at. First, verse 17, we compare We make a comparison. That helps us not lose heart. That helps us to have courage. Secondly, verse 18, we look. And then in verse chapter 5, he says this twice, we know. So how do we not lose heart? How do we have courage? We, We compare, we look, and we know. Verse 17, we we compare the autofocus of this world tells us to zoom in and magnify our current troubles. But Paul counters that with this verse. I, I compare those troubles which are light and momentary to the eternal weight of glory. And there is no comparison. I do see that this tent is wasting away, but I'm going to compare it to something This tent that might last 60 or 70 or 80 years. There's no comparison to the eternal weight of glory. It's hard for us to sort of get our minds wrapped around that. But the best scientists can say today is that the farthest star is 13 billion light years away. That's their best guess. 13 billion light years away. And it's like Paul is saying, I'm on a journey of 13 billion light years. And the first 60 or 80 are like the first inch of that journey. And so I'm not going to make my first, this first inch the focus of my journey. Because no matter how difficult this 60 or 80 years are, it's only one inch in 13 billion years of a journey. So I'm not going to have autofocus on this 60 years as the main thing. The main thing is not yet to come. The main thing is coming. Life is on its way. This isn't real life. Real life is coming towards us. And he says, I'm going to make that my main focus and not this little 60 or 80 year tent my main focus and you might say well that's great for paul but he doesn't really understand my pain i mean paul that's fine for you you might be able to auto you might be able to turn the auto focus on and focus on the the eternity but do you 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 don't really understand the kind of pain that i've i'm living with currently well i would say paul probably does understand He says later in the same book, 2 Corinthians 11, I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. 
I've been in danger for my own countrymen, from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. So Paul's not a stranger to physical problems. Paul's not a stranger to emotional difficulties. Paul, Paul's not a stranger to relational issues. But he's just not going to make those things. He's not going to make that one inch the main part of his focus. He's going to take that and say, I see it. I'm feeling it. But compared to the eternal weight of glory, there's just no comparison. And so one way I get off of myself, one way I don't lose heart is I make a comparison between what I see right now and what is yet unseen. And then notice that Paul, how Paul views these troubles. They're not things that you just endure. He's not just saying, make a comparison and then just suck it up. That'd be something I would say. That'd be the Paul Phillips version of the Bible. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you see these comparisons and you see how small these are. Just suck it up and wait until the, the eternity. He doesn't say that. Notice what he says. He said that these troubles are what? They're accomplishing something. They're they're achieving something. They're preparing me for something. They're producing something. So so the, the pain and frustration and pressures and afflictions that I face in this life are not meaningless. They have a purpose. They're producing something. And at least they're producing a waning from this world. They're they're helping me. They're helping you let go of the temporary things of the world. And say, I I, I mostly feel comfortable having my hands on things I can see. I mostly feel comfortable having my hands on things I can control. And as the troubles in life, as the pains and frustration in life, it begins to help loosen that grip. And take hold of things that are unseen. And hold on to an an eternal weight of glory. Rather than holding on to my physical appearance. Rather than holding on to my bank account. Rather than holding on to the person in the seat next to me. As important as those things may be. I'm going to have to loosen that grip. And Paul says that. The pain and the frustration God actually uses. It's not meaningless. And it's preparing us. For something in eternity. So the first thing we do is we, we compare. And when we compare, it helps us to not lose heart. Second thing, verse 18, we look. We do not lose heart when we look at the unseen rather than the seen. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We're we're paying attention. We have our eyes focused on. We're listening to things that that come from the unseen world, not the seen world. You know, if you spend a lot of your time listening, looking at cable news or listening to talk radio... If that's what is flowing through your mind with great regularity, this is what you're going to want to do. Buy gold. Build a bunker in your backyard. Stockpile ammunition. 
and buy food that will last forever. I mean, if that's a regular diet, what you're, they're trying to do is they're trying to scare you into things that you can see. And so you've got to counter that by holding on and building these things that are seen. And Paul wants to counter that. And he says, no, I, I don't want you to think about those things. I want you to fix your eyes instead on something else. And I want you to fix your eyes on things you cannot see. Isn't that an odd phrase? Look at what you can't see. Look at what you can't see. Focus your attention. Look at, constantly be filled with things you can't see rather than what you can see. I hope back in 2006 you didn't buy a book called The Secret. But it was popular. It was popular enough to be made into a movie. And it's about getting what you want. And you don't need to buy the book. It's the health and wealth garbage. And it's just got a nice picture on the front. And all it is is you just try to visualize things that you, want to, you would like. And so the instruction is you have what's called a vision board. Basically a cork board. And you just cut out pictures of things that you would like. Pictures of the body that you would like. Pictures of the car that you would like. Pictures of the body of the spouse that you would like. Whatever the pictures are in your mind that you would like, you cut those out, you put them on your vision board, and you stare at them. That's the, that's not, now it's not a secret. And so that's what you do. And if you cut those out and you put them on your board and you stare at them long enough, then you get them. And I'm here to tell you that's no secret because I did that when I was four years old at Christmas time. I mean, every Christmas, what did I do? I get the catalog out. Hey, mom and dad, stare at this. This is what I'd like to see. This is not a secret. Anyways, you stare at it because there's something called in their minds the law of attraction you're more likely to obtain those things on the board. And maybe it's stretching the illustration, but you might say, Paul saying, okay, great, make a vision board. Here's what I'd like you to put on your vision board. Things you cannot see. Just put all the things you can't see on the vision board. These are the things you need to be focusing on. These are the things that you need to be staring at. If you're staring at these things that cannot be seen, then when difficulty comes, you're not going to lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's one thing that should be on your board. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart when you have to carry your own cross. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes on the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day and to all who have longed for his appearing. 2 Timothy 2. Fix your eyes on and be confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.8. Fix your eyes on, on the one who is able to keep you from falling, who is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with, that, with great joy. Fix your eyes on the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Christ Jesus, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen, Jude 24. Fix your eyes on those things. Those are the critical things. 
But see, in autofocus world, it's an automobile, it's a body, it's a career, it's a person. It's all these things that we've got tacked up all of our lives. And when those things begin to fade away, we, we lose heart. It's not going to work out like I thought it was. I grow discouraged. Paul's saying, be, be of good courage. But you've got to fix your eyes on things you cannot see if you want to make sure you don't lose heart. So you, you make a comparison. You look. Finally, in chapter 5, you know something. He says it twice, once in verse 1 and once in verse 6. For we know... We know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. It's, not, it's a house not made with hands. A house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So we're now thinking about something and we're saying, now this is what we know to be true. This is how we're walking by faith and not by sight. We know we're going from a tent to a building. We know we're going from something that can be destroyed to something that cannot be destroyed. We know we're going from earth to heaven. We know we're going to from a building that was built by hands to a, built, a building that was built by God's hands. Those are the things that we know. And then he says it a different way a second time. 5 verse 6. So we're always of good courage because we know, this is the second thing we know, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Yes, we are of good courage, verse 8. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's the second thing we know. We know that when our physical bodies reach the finish line of this earth, we, we know that we're not going to be leaving home. We know that we're going to be going home. So you have to know that. If you know that all the decay and the, the death, the two bullies that come and cause you to be discouraged, when you say, hey, you know what? I'm not leaving home. I'm going home. Then you can say, for me to die is what? Gain. Come on, put them up. That's what I want to say. Because I'm not leaving home when I leave this earth. I'm going home. And if you have that perspective, then you're not as easily discouraged. You don't easily lose heart. Because when the last day comes, it's all gain. When my mother was alive, I loved to go home. I think about the college students that are here and a lot of them that aren't here because they, they've gone home. They've finished their exam. And, man, I, I just loved that last day of exams. One, because it was the last day of exams. But I, my car was packed. I, I'm sorry that some people don't have this experience. I know many of you don't. But I could not wait to go home. And see my mother. Why? 
she, she loved me unconditionally. She knew I had a lot of faults. And they were very visible to her. But somehow, even in the midst of seeing those visible thoughts, those faults, she, she loved me unconditionally. She couldn't wait, and I don't really get why, but she couldn't wait to see little old me. She waited for me to come home. She couldn't wait to sit down and listen to me and give me her undivided attention. And of course, she made all the best foods. All the ones that I liked, and she had given up on making me eat the things that I didn't like anymore. So it was just all wonderful things, and, and I just couldn't wait to go home to see her, to be with her. You know, that's just a, a fraction. That's just a, a tiny little picture of my God and His desire for me. He cannot wait for me to come home. And when I understand that this isn't my home and I'm going home, then I can't wait to get to him. But when I lose that focus, I hold on to things of this world like they're my home. And usually pain comes And loosens my grip. And weans me away from the world. And says, Paul, remember. (laughs) This isn't your home. You're on your way home. But this isn't it. So we know. we, we, We compare. We see. I don't lose heart. Paul says, I'm not losing heart because I know to die is gain. And I love Paul's phrase at the end of verse 4, so that death, so that what is mortal or death is swallowed up by life. What a great phrase. What, what your mortal body is, is going to be swallowed up by life. Since the 16th century, our culture started in England, has had this picture personification of death. You know what it is? The Grim Reaper, right? Do they have that on Scrooge? They probably do. So it's the Grim Reaper. It's the, you know, the guy, he's got all black. You don't ever really see his face, but you know it's a skeleton. And he has this, uh, what's it called? Scythe. Thank you. And it's this, you know, long wooden handle, and it's basically got kind of somewhat sharp curved blade and it's for harvesting it's for cutting things down and so when the grim reaper comes to visit you it's time to cut you down and that's the picture we have this darkness is coming towards us we don't want to face the grim reaper but notice paul has a totally different picture he said death is coming but what's what what's coming life is coming Life is coming. I don't know what at, at what speed. But hurtling towards me right now, hurtling towards you, is a freight train of life. And I don't know what day it's going to happen. It may be in 2014. But whatever the day is, coming towards you at a great speed is not the grim reaper. It's life. And your death is going to be swallowed up by life. 
And you're going to look back at this life and say, I can't even believe I ever held on to anything back here compared to what I have now in this life. I'm sorry, I even called it life in comparison. There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. If you live with Jesus, you live underneath a new law, it will happen. Your death will be swallowed up by life. And if you've been set free from death, if you know that hurtling towards you like a freight train is life, if, if you know you're not leaving home but going home, when troubles come in this world, then you're not as likely to lose heart. So I guess my question is, how do you not lose heart? The answer really is that you trust in Jesus. You know him. You bring those things to your mind. You make a comparison. You look at. You know certain things. And my questions for you are just, do you know Jesus? I mean, this is the message that the church is uniquely gifted to proclaim. Hurtling towards you is something right now. And it's either life or death. You will at one point die and you're going to be swallowed up by something. Is it life because you trusted in Jesus or is it death because you trusted in something else that you could see, something else that you could hold on to? Well, this would be the day to decide to move from death to life, to move from being lost to being found. But Paul primarily in this passage is talking to the people who are sitting in the church and saying, don't lose heart. I know, I know you see decay. Decay in your relationships, decay in your body, decay in the culture. I, I know you see it. I know, it's everywhere. You can't miss it. But the, don't lose heart because this isn't the end. The end is hurtling towards you and the end is life. Do you believe that? And if you do, then don't lose heart. It's kind of hard for me to figure out how to end this sermon. Uh, And as I thought about it, I thought it might be good just to take a few minutes to reflect. It's such a big and heavy topic. And there's a song, there's a CD that I got many years ago. It's a tribute to C.S. Lewis. And one of the last songs in the rotation is I see the Lord and just this was just my own thinking when I hear the song I just think of death and in this case for C.S. Lewis he sees the Lord just on his way to see the Lord and when I get discouraged I will listen to this quietly it's just a instrumental song and and just remember Be of good courage. One day, one day you'll see the Lord. So I thought we'd just listen to it together for three minutes or so, and then I'll come back up and close us in prayer.
Heavenly Father, you are life. And you promise that what's coming at us at great speed is life that we can be swallowed up from all the darkness and the pain of this world and we can be swallowed up into and by life. And so you heard my prayer this morning for every every member here by name that they would know life, that they would be swallowed up by this great life, that they would know that and, and be of good courage and not so many visitors I pray for their souls that they too would know you trust in you they would be swallowed up by life that they would walk by faith and not by sight in Jesus name